Okay, part B, chapter 4 of 2 Nephi. Verse 1, And now I, Nephi, speak concerning the prophecies of which my father hath spoken concerning Joseph, who was carried into Egypt. For behold, he truly prophesied concerning all his seed, and the prophecies which he wrote, there are not many greater. And he prophesied concerning us and our future generations, and they are written upon the plates of brass. So now it's the giveaway of where he gets this from. Well, of course it is. The plates of brass are the record of his ancestors. He's from the north, right? The, the, the Jews weren't keeping those keeping us up, right? Verse 3. Wherefore, after my father had made an end of speaking concerning the prophecies of Joseph, he called the children of Laman his sons, he called the children of Laman his sons and his daughters, and said unto them, Behold my sons and my daughters, who are the sons and daughters of my firstborn, I would that you should give ear unto my words. So we've got kind of the the follow-on to the blessing of Laman and Lemuel themselves, and this is going to be different because, um, well, Lehi's going to do some cool things. But the first thing is to take care of this question of, you know, what is a curse, right? Um, we, I've always said that a curse is a blessing we don't like. And that's true um, because God only does what's for our good, our, our ultimate good, right? Sometimes uh, God has to push us hard, goad us in some other direction, you know, to get us headed the right direction, hopefully. Uh, oftentimes, showing us the stupidity of our choices by our own experiences, right? I mean, uh, but in in the sense that it's going to come forward here, it, this is more like legal. It's a legal sense. Um, and, and one that we're going to have to pay attention to as we go through the Book of Mormon, because a curse is, as a technical matter, the penalty for breaking a covenant. I, I think this, this is worth pay, paying close attention to. It's the penalty for breaking a covenant that you have entered into. Um, well, and you've, in biblical, uh, you know, way of thinking about it, you can enter into a covenant that obliges your children, right? Um, so the, oh, and remember the formula. So, uh, we, we, we talked before about this whole idea of, of, uh, cutting a covenant, right? Um, cutting us, uh, well, so, uh, think about Abraham, um, when he sacrifices, he, he, we, we see this, it's, it's implicit elsewhere, but we see it, where he cuts the sacrificial, sacrificial animals in half, lays them one half on either side to kind of make a path that he walks through, and, and then he sees, um, he sees the, the light, the, the lamp of the Lord, the smoking furnace of the Lord walking down it too. Uh, because you, you made a sacrifice. Even if you're doing this with another human being, you, you make, if you make a covenant with them, you flay open the two halves of the sacrifice, lay them on either side, and you walk down it together. Remember what that means? This karat parit, cutting a penalty. Um, it, it's, it's saying, I will be flayed and left on the ground <laughs> if I break this covenant. We enact, we enact ritually the penalty that we're invoking on ourselves if we disobey the covenant, if we if we break the covenant, right? So, um, so like in the time of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says you're going to be flayed and left open on left on the ground for the for the birds to eat. Why? Because they broke the covenant, the Israelite covenant that that they would only keep. Uh, bond servants, Israelite bond servants for, you know, for six years. And on the seventh year, they go free where they, where they ruptured that. And so he says, now you're gonna, you're gonna suffer the penalty that you, that, you know, 
that was enacted when you made this promise, right? So that's that's a curse. A curse is the penalty for breaking that covenant that you've already agreed to. Okay, verse 4. For the Lord God has said that inasmuch as you shall keep my commandments, you shall prosper in the land, and inasmuch as you will not keep my commandments, you shall be cut off from my presence. And I think we talked about that before, where it's where the, the presence is um, is the the ritual presence, the priesthood, um, you know, the, the church, essentially, the equivalent of the church in that day. Not that God ceases to love us or ceases to be around, you know, in all things and through all things, as the as the doctrine of covenant says. Verse five. But behold, my sons and my daughters, I cannot go down to my grave save I should leave a blessing upon you. For behold, I know that if you were brought up in the way you should go, you would not depart from it. Now we must say a word about this because are, are we are is Lehi admitting that he did not bring up Laman and Lemuel the way they should go? Or is he expressing a higher hope for these kids? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's but it's worth um, uh, thinking about because, uh, fr- frankly, I I think this the whole notion, at least as a universal principle, uh, that if a child you know raises a child in the way that he should go and he'll not depart from it when he's old, uh, is a load of um, you know bovine excrement. Uh, maybe as a maybe as a rule, a, um, a principle, but not. To be applied to in every in every circumstance, it's just that just can't be right. That can't be right. Or we would, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, who were really, uh, from everything that I can gather, very righteous. They wouldn't have had any descendants go astray, and everything would have been peachy from there. It can't be so. Um, it's an admonition. It's an admonition. So, um, but but he has this hope for these grandchildren that that. Uh, that if their parents were, were more solid, uh, you know, in in righteousness, that they would that they would be blessed. So then, verse six: For for if you are cursed, behold, I leave my blessing upon you, that the cursing may be taken from you, and be answered upon the heads of your parents. See now, now it's Lehi not Lehi is not cursing anybody. The curse is what comes when you break the covenant. And he's hoping that his blessing will intervene and countervene that curse. This is a beautiful, beautiful thought. Now, I, I don't know if it really works like that, but uh, this is what he's asking for the Lord anyway. And, of course, Nephi has already gotten a sneak peek that this is what's going to happen, that the Lamanites ultimately are the winners. They're the ones that are blessed um, because God preserves them because of their, specifically because of their being ignorant of the law. They can't, um, they can't break the law in the same way that the Nephites can, and so they're preserved to get another chance. So verse 7, Wherefore, because of my blessing, the Lord God will not suffer that ye shall perish. Wherefore, he will be merciful unto you and unto your seed forever. And it came to pass that after my father had made an end of speaking to the sons and daughters of Laman, he caused the sons and daughters of Lemuel to be brought before him. And he spake unto them, saying, Behold my sons and my daughters, who are the sons and the daughters of my second son. Behold, I leave unto you the same blessing which I left unto the sons and daughters of Laman. Wherefore, thou shalt not be utterly, thou shalt not utterly be destroyed, but in the end thy seed shall be blessed." And it came to pass that when my father had made an end of speaking unto them, behold, he spake unto the sons of Ishmael, yea, and even to, even all his household. Now he doesn't say what he says there. Okay. And after he made an end of speaking unto them, he spake unto Sam. See, Sam's an interesting case here, isn't he? Um, because as a tribe, the Samites, 
Yeah. Wait, the Samites didn't exist. Have you ever heard of Samites? No, they don't exist as a tribe. There's always seven tribes, as we'll see, and never any Samites. Why is that? Uh, was, was something wrong with Sam's capacity? Was he brain injured when the mast swung around uh, in, in a squall on the sea? I, who, who knows? Who knows? But he's going to be treated in a way like uh, like the younger brothers, even though he's not, he's older. And so verse 11 again, and, and after he made an end of speaking to them, he spake unto Sam, saying, Blessed art thou and thy seed, for thou shalt inherit the land like unto thy brother Nephi, and thy seed shall be numbered with his seed, and thou shalt even be, thou shalt be even like unto thy brother, and thy seed like unto his seed, and thou shalt be blessed in all the days. So he's, this looks like the merging. Uh, Lehi is effectively merging Sam with Nephi. So there never will be Samites. They're merged into one right from the beginning. Verse 12. And it came to pass after my father Lehi had spoken to all his household concerning, according to the feelings of his heart and the spirit of the Lord which was in him, he waxed old. And it came to pass that he died and was buried. I love in the scriptures how fast that happens. He waxes old. And like in the very next sentence, they always die. Uh, <laughs> it's also kind of lucky that, uh, that these patriarchs uh, they, they get to know, you know, some period of time, okay, is it, is it too soon to do my last will and testament? Mm, what, do you, what do you think, Soraya? Maybe a little too soon. I think you've got, you got a good another month left in you. <laughs> I always wonder about how the, how the timing of that kind of stuff works. Uh, must have been inspiration. It had to be. <laughs> anyway, I get a chuckle out of that. Verse 13, And it came to pass that not many days after his death, Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael were angry with me because of the admonitions of the Lord. For I, Nephi, was constrained to speak unto them according to his word. For I had spoken many things unto them and also my father before his death. Many of which sayings are written upon my plates, mine other plates, for a more history part are written upon mine other plates. And you're thinking, well, hang on. The things that are, the admonition, the admonitions that he says, the, the harangues to his brothers are on the history place. Yeah, yeah. He's got a different way of of um, divvying this up. Uh, in fact, you could say, uh, I just read a very interesting article um, this week uh, that about the purpose. You know, why is why is first Nephi divided from second Nephi almost like in mid-sentence, in mid-event? You know, uh, why? Uh, because there's a different purpose, and it's not exactly the purpose that we that we think. Um, it's not just all the preaching and stuff. All the preaching and stuff was on those plates too. That was part of the history, not like we think of it, but my story, Nephi's story in detail. Right? Okay. Um, and upon these plates, uh, and upon these, I write the things of my soul, and many of the scriptures which are engraven upon the plates of brass. For my soul delighteth in the scriptures, and my heart pondereth them, and writeth them for the learning and the profit of my children. He has a he has a different purpose. There's something different that's about uh, the, the things that are burdening his soul um, and quoting lots of scripture, which presumably he didn't do on the other plates, right? And then next we have uh, Nephi's psalm. And it really is a psalm, by the way. Um, LDS scholar Matthew Nickerson uh, established that it, that it fits perfectly the, the biblical psalm type called the individual lament, the individual lament, which has five structural units, an invocation, a complaint, a confession of trust, a petition, and a vow of praise. And this is exactly, of course, the um, the format that, that Nephi follows. So Nephi 
you know, no doubt in his scribal training, he'd copied hundreds of these psalms, right? Probably knew a lot of them by heart and, and it, you know, was familiar and instructed in the form and so forth like that. Well, let's see, verse 16. Behold, my my soul delighteth in the things of the Lord, and my heart pondereth continually upon the things which I have seen and heard. Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord in showing me his marvelous, his great and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am. Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh, my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. Uh, Notice that first he's encompassed about by sin. Later he's going to be encompassed about in the robe of God's righteousness. So we've set up this this, uh, progression here. Um, 19. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. Oh, and guys, you, you know that I have uh, written music uh, to these lyrics um, because I'm sure, like you, we we groan because of our failings and because of the anger of the people close to us. But we know who we've trusted. God is with us. God is with us in spite of our sins that do so easily beset us. It's true. Verse 20. My God hath been my support. He hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness. And hath, he hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. Uh, guys, if, if, if as my life progresses uh, and, and you find that I am repeating the same stories, <laughs> it's not just because I'm a doddering old fool. It's because, like Nephi, my heart is pondered on these. You'll do the same thing when you're old. Ponder on these events that are turn out to be the sentinel events preserved in the wilderness. Wow, I didn't realize at the time. I thought it was just a battle. No, that was providential. Preserved in the waters of the great deep. Yeah, I should have been dead. Um, but it was providential. So so we, as we revisit these key events of our life, uh, they take on greater meaning and they swallow up so much else of what happens in life. This is just the way that people reflect later in life. 21. He hath filled me with his love even under the consuming of my flesh. Think about that from the standpoint of a, of a First Temple Jew or Israelite. Um, the consuming of the flesh, this is what they thought would happen if you, if you stood in the presence of God. You would be consumed. And so there has to be this, this cloud or this cloud of glory upon you uh, to make it so you can stand it. We actually talked about that in church today, yeah, section 84. Well, anyway, uh, 22, he hath confounded mine enemies under the causing of them to shake before me. Uh, behold, he hath heard my cry by day, and he, he hath given me knowledge by visions in the nighttime. And by day have I waxed bold in mighty prayer before him, yea, my voice have I sent up on high, and angels came down and ministered unto me. Uh, I, I, rem- I have an advantage, having read these words as a non-believer, and thinking, <laughs> overblown, <laughs> way overblown. Uh, of course, I hadn't read the Psalms then. <laughs> when I did read the Psalms, I thought the same thing, overblown. <laughs> and now that I've lived a little more and suffered a lot more, now I know, no, no, I get it. I get it. This is just the way it would be for an older Nephite gentleman <laughs> or the 
older Nephite or only any human person. Um, and all this comes out of the head of Joseph Smith. I don't accept that. Not at all. Verse 25 is so fascinating because, uh, and upon the wings of his spirit hath my body been carried away upon exceedingly high mountains. Whoa, wait, wait. The spirit has wings? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So to, to, um, to ancient Israelites and Jews, of course, we start with Genesis with, um, the, and the spirit, well, King James says the spirit moved upon the waters. Well, that doesn't capture, capture it. It's, the word is rechap. It's the fluttered or, uh, you know, um, brooded, I guess, but fluttered, the fluttering action of a mother bird on the waters of the Tahom, the, the, the waters of chaos. And, uh, and so the spirit of God has wings from the opening chapter of the Bible. Um, these are these are symbolized in the wings of the of, of the cherubim and so forth. Even the seraphim, even even Christ, as depicted uh, iconographically, he's depicted as the brass serpent, right? It's the winged serpent, right? Of course, uh, the the seraphim that um, that Isaiah sees in Isaiah six wings, right? Uh, these heavenly beings have have wings. So the spirit has wings. Uh, in later Jewish tradition, this is going to be called by a different name. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be called the Shekhinah. Um, and so that a person that joins, uh, that, it, that makes the, the covenant uh, to join the people of Israel is taken under the wings of the Shekhinah. Even Moses, when he, well, the, the, the Bible is conflicted about what happens to Moses' body. Uh, but, but in the rabbinic commentaries, they said, well, okay, well, what happened to Moses' body? Well, he was lying in the wings of the Shekhinah. And, um, and, and, and then God took him up. Alma clarifies this for us. Or no, a Mormon clarifies this for us when he's talking about Alma. He says, um, well, he, he was going over from this city to that city, and, and he didn't make it there. So the saying went abroad in the church, saying that he was taken up by the Spirit even as Moses. So that again, we have this connection where, where um, Alma, Alma obviously remembers this Israelite tradition uh, that didn't survive in the Bible, that in the wings of the Spirit... Is, is where the body of Moses rested. Anyway, I could go on, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but the Nephites knew like the ancient Israelites knew and like the Christians knew that the Spirit had wings. So, the, so that when, when the, then the Holy Spirit descends upon Christ at his baptism and it's in the form of a dove, this is not a Christian invention. This has been going on since Genesis, right? Okay. Longotello, now 26. Oh, then if I have seen... So great things, if the Lord in his condescension of the children of men hath visited men in so much mercy, why should my heart weep and my soul linger in the valley of sorrow and my flesh waste away and my strength slacken because of my afflictions? And why should I yield to sin because of my flesh? Yea, why should I give way to temptations that the evil one have placed in my heart to destroy my peace and afflict my soul? And then this is so beautiful. Why am I angry because of my enemy? Nephi was a great guy. He was a, an amazing guy. Let's not whitewash <laughs> Nephi's 
history. He's telling us the truth here. He got angry. You better believe he got angry. And why wouldn't he? He's, he's a human being like the rest of us. So when I get angry, yeah, I'm not happy with myself. But I remember that even Nephi, and I remember that even Moses, as we said last, last episode, we get it. And I think God gets us and God will help us through these natural human feelings that we, that we have. That impulse of anger is not a sin. It's natural. It's the natural man. How we act, of course, that's sin or not sin, depending on what we do. But these, these feelings cannot be a sin. 28. Awake, my soul. No longer droop in sin. Rejoice, my heart, and give, no, no, give place no more for the enemy of my soul. Well, obviously, <laughs> this this psalm has great meaning to me, um, especially since I echoed this in, in music at a time of my own affliction. Well, 29, do not anger again because of mine enemies. Do not strack, slacken my strength because of mine afflictions. Rejoice, O my heart, and cry unto the Lord and say, O Lord, I will praise thee forever. Yea, my soul will rejoice in thee, my God, and the rock of my salvation. O Lord, wilt thou redeem my soul? Wilt thou deliver me out of the hands of mine enemies? Wilt thou make me that I may shake at the appearance of sin? Oh, how I hope we pray this prayer. You know, it's natural to say, deliver me from the hands of mine enemies. Deliver me from this financial circumstance or, you know, you know whatever it is, the outward stuff. How wise of Nephi to say, make me shake at the appearance of sin. Not the appearance of sin out there, the appearance of sin in here, in my heart. May the gates of hell be shut continually before me. Because that my heart is broken and my spirit is contrite. O Lord, wilt thou not shut the gates of thy righteousness before me? that I may walk in the path of a low valley, that I may be strict in the plain road. And then this is, guys, when you, when you, when you see what Nephi is, all of this implies in verse 33, then this is such a beautiful culmination to this plea. O Lord, wilt thou encircle me around in the robe of thy righteousness? Nephi knew, Nephi knew the endowment Nephi knew that when we enter the presence of God, it is an embrace. It is with an embrace. Think about us at the veil. This is an embrace, isn't it? Now, at, in the temple, we're, we're enacting a thing that will yet be. Um, you know, we're, we're making a ritual about what will be a reality if we're, if we're worthy of it. But this is what he's saying. Encircle me about in the robe of thy righteousness. Um, O Lord, wilt thou make a way for mine escape from mine enemies? Wilt thou make my path straight before me? Wilt thou not place a stumbling block in my way? But that thou wouldst clear my way before me and hedge not up my way by the ways of mine enemy. Now, for us, we, we, we go on paved sidewalks and, you know, super highways. We don't, we, uh, unless we get out in the woods some, we don't, we forget 
how important it is to have a uh, a path that you can actually find a good, a nice, clear, straight shot that you can kind of see. Uh, <laughs> you know, not a windy road that you could get lost on some little deer trail and then end up who knows where, falling off a cliff. These, these images are important to, to people of the time, and we, we sometimes get lost in them because we don't have the same challenges, the same daily life. <laughs> oh, Lord, I have trusted in thee, and I will trust in thee forever. I will not put my trust in the arm of flesh. For I know that cursed is he that putteth his trust in the arm of flesh. Yea, cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm. How true that is, and how, you know, and especially as we think about the calamity of our of our nation, frankly, the calamity of the people of the church, we're, we're failing in our progress. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's true um, in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, we, we can't, we can't with our own strength fix these things. We have to do what we have to do but we have to put our trust in God, that God has all power to bring to pass all of his will and put these things right. I'm not saying, don't misunderstand, please, I'm not saying that the, that the, um, the church itself is not uh, fulfilling its mission. It is. It is. Uh, we have a wise and great man at the helm. I got a great bishop here. As I look out at us, our people. Um, it's a time of great, great struggle and great uh, difficulty. Um, in, in for so many reasons, faith evaporating, uh, distraction is is taking over, and deception is uh, the, the the rule of the day. That mostly, and to a great, mostly our our countrymen believe a lie. And it's seeped into the church as well. So I'm not saying the church is off track and then, you know, anything like that. I'm not. I'm just saying this is a tough time, a time of sifting, a time of challenge for us, the members of the church. 35, the, the last in this chapter. Yeah, I know that God will give liberally to him that asketh. Yea, my God will give me if I ask not amiss. Therefore, I will lift up my voice unto thee. Yea, I will cry unto thee, my God, the rock of my righteousness. Behold, my voice shall ascend, shall forever ascend up unto thee, my rock, and mine everlasting God. Amen. And with Nephi I say, Amen. All right, join me for part C, where I promise not to be such a blubbering fool. Oh, but can you feel how I love these words? Can you feel how they resound in my soul? I hope so. <laughs> All right, join me for part scene.